0: Welcome to the Directors UK podcast. This episode is an engrossing conversation on an urgent topic as we dive into the making of the people versus climate change. We were lucky enough to be joined by the show's director, Harriet Bird, and producer, Steve Smith, as well as the Doc Society's Jessica Edwards and Mike Harris from impact agency 89 Up. With Edward Watts' expert moderation, the conversation touched on everything from telling climate stories working on strategies to create change through your work. We hope you enjoy.
1: Thank you everyone who's attending this session. It really is it's a great honour and privilege for me to be hosting this conversation about this really beautiful, important and very human film and hopefully off the back of it we can talk about the difference that this film and films like it can make facing this existential crisis of climate change. I spent the afternoon swatting up on all, all my latest climate change facts and my heart is very heavy. <laughs> so I'm hoping that a little bit of hope will be injected through this conversation. Um, I should also say that I am a white man without much hair wearing a blue shirt uh, with light, light blue vertical stripes. So I'd like to hand over to each member of uh, the panel so they can describe themselves first. So
2: starting with Steve Smith. Uh, Good evening. Hi. Um, And uh, I'm a white man. I'm uh, uh, short grey hair, a pale blue shirt and glasses. And uh, I'm the current chair of Directors UK, but I'm also the executive producer of Picture Zero, this production as well.
1: Thank you, Steve. And Harriet, who's the director, producer and I think shooter of most of the film as well. That's correct, right?
3: That's correct. Hi. Yeah, um, I'm a white woman, a bit sweaty today, wearing a blue top with blonde
1: hair. Thank you. And now Jessica Edwards, who's the Director of Impact and Partnerships at Doc Society.
4: Yeah, hi. Um, So I am um, a white woman with a black uh, sleeveless top on and silver hoop earrings.
1: Fantastic. Thank you. And then finally, last but not least, Mike Harris, who's the head of the Impact Agency 89Up.
5: Uh, Hi, I'm Mike um, and I'm a white guy with a beard and dark hair and I'm wearing a uh, white
1: t-shirt. Thank you so much, Mike. So I'm going to assume because this is uh, a panel for directors that you've all watched the film and that's why you're tuning in. So I'm not going to get into the detail of summarising the film other than to say it's essentially about the, I think, 108 ordinary members of the British public who were selected for the Climate Assembly, this wonderful exercise in democracy, which is basically trying to get ordinary people to solve the the dilemmas of how are we going to save the world, basically, and prevent uh, catastrophic climate change in the future. So I'm going to start with you, Steve, um, because I know the climate is a particular passion of yours and it's led very directly to the founding of Picture Zero. So maybe you could tell us about that and then specifically how this project came to be born.
2: Brilliant. Yeah, thanks, Edward. Um, yeah, I mean, I've been really uh, concerned, passionate about climate change for well over a decade now. And um, because of that, I, I got involved with BAFTA Albert, who are the sort of home of sustainability for the film and TV industry. Um, I, I became a sort of Albert um, ambassador and also a trainer. So I help run some of the carbon literacy training that we do for the film and TV industry, trying to tell people how to make productions more sustainably, but also... Um, how to tell stories about climate change. And off the back of that, sort of decided that I wanted to try and do more. So we, we decided to launch Picture Zero to see if we could find a new way of telling these kind of climate stories. Um, because there's still a kind of nervousness, I think, within our industry for communicating, particularly climate solutions. I think we've been quite good at sort of the Armageddon sort of stuff about, you know, the planets frying and um, which is important. But I think sometimes that can put people off and be a bit of a kind of uh, pessimistic outlook um so we formed picture zero and then just shortly after doing that i read that rachel reeves um who was chair of the BES select committee had commissioned um a citizens assembly it was the first time that the uk government had sort of done this well it was commissioned by parliament rather than the government so it was six of the select committees coming together and i just thought this would be a fascinating film to make because um it was dealing with two real big central issues i think first of all how we deal with democracy and kind of um uh, make decisions about really important issues and off the back of brexit i thought that was really fascinating but then also trying to engage the public on how to tell story how to solve climate change whenever anyone asks me to sort of pitch the idea i sort of say imagine it's like getting the the cast of gogglebox to solve climate change because sort of that's that's what it is it's getting 108 people that haven't really engaged with climate before getting them into a room for a number of weeks to sort of learn about the problem and then come up with the solutions so we we decided to do this we got in contact with parliament we were given exclusive access to the whole process and basically from that point onwards tried to sort of pitch it to a number of broadcasters and because this was the first project that picture zero were making um we got in touch with curious films who we sort of knew as, as a co-production partner, because we thought it would sort of stand a better chance to sort of have that sort of, um, that skill of, of, a, of a documentary production company that had a track record to sort of help us with this. And that's how we, we got involved with Harriet as well, who is the sort of producer director. And as you said earlier, the shooter of this. Um, the other thing I should also just say is at the same time, while all this was going on in parallel, um, we also applied to join the Climate Story Lab, which um, was something that the Doc Society had uh, set up. And I'm so glad that we were accepted onto that with this project, because actually the support we've had from the Doc Society has been absolutely invaluable. We couldn't have made the film without them.
1: Yeah. And we're going to talk a lot about that later. I mean, just in terms of just to finish on, I guess, when you're opening up, assembly you know were there any limitations on your access on your sort of freedom of movement and did you yourself because i mean i guess for me if i'd received this brief about the idea uh, i'd be quite overwhelmed with the thought of here all these people such a massive topic like did you have a sense at the start of the project about how you were going to kind
2: of navigate your way through the landscape um i think it was a real challenge um i mean first of all there was some nervousness because um, particularly over issues like impartiality and all and all these things, you know, um parliaments were very hands-off, so they, they um commissioned a company called Involve to actually run the citizens' assembly. So Involve are a charity who have specialist experience of running citizens' assemblies. So um Involve were our main contact. Um, and obviously they were a bit nervous because, you know, we wanted to have complete access. We didn't want to have to have anyone else having edi- any editorial control over the program. We had to have, you know, complete journalistic impartiality. And and of course, winning the trust of both involved was important. But then also when it came to, um, you know, casting the program, you know, uh, making sure that we could get the sort of trust of the contributors as well. Um, so it, it was it was fraught with, with problems and um, and uh, but we got through it. We navigated it. And I think what's, it's been a really positive experience. I know that Involve are very pleased with the way um, the film has come out and and how it sort of I think um, is quite a good sort of promotion for the use of climate assemblies or citizens assemblies for other topics as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, I really, I do c- commend you on the film because I think it says so much about not just the climate, but also about Britain, you know, and you have managed to navigate the divisions that is, is what we're obsessed with at the moment in this country. You've navigated them brilliantly. The perspective that you've included are fantastic. And I really think obviously a lot of that was down to you, Harriet, because I also understand this is like your first like long form doc. Is that correct? Six, yeah. six minute.
3: Yeah, it's the first time I've made like a sort of standalone film as a director, done films as part of series, you know, where it's like a bit more of a set format. And, you know, sort of people are sort of telling you what to do a little bit more There's a way it's got to be. So, yeah, I mean, this was like an amazing, brilliant opportunity and um, great to be sort of trusted to sort of be at the helm of it. And, um, you know, decide what sort of film this should be, because I think... It was a bit challenging with the brief to begin with, because it's like, okay, there's a few ways we could tell this. You know, we could make a sort of procedural about citizens' assemblies. Mm. We could make something that's a bit more sort of specialist factual about all these policy options for, you know, how, what what's Britain going to do to sort of reduce our impact on the climate to get to net zero. That's the big question at the head of this is how does britain get to net zero and and that's a really complex big subject um but i think uh we decided um really to make it a, a very character-led film and i think you know when you describe the film as human that that you know that, that's basically the sort of decision that i made about it it's that it needed to really focus on character and once we cast our main contributors i knew that that was going to be the best way to make a strong film because they were great and i knew that they were strong and i think although citizens assemblies are brilliant and are really interesting um making a procedural that really ground down into the detail of what they are probably wouldn't have been very uh entertaining for an audience so so yeah, it 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 was um it was a challenge to know what to do, but I feel like uh, you know, we got to the end of the process and I feel we made some good decisions about how to um how to bring the best out of the subject, I suppose.
1: Mm. Yeah, no, I'm really interested to hear you say that because the casting is brilliant, you know, the characters you've chosen are both wonderful humans, but also they sort of represent such dis distri- like interesting perspective on the climate crisis. So I mean, did you how did you find them? <laughs>
3: Well, it was pretty straightforward, really. Um, The guys called Involve, who sort of organized the assembly, who Steve mentioned, they sent an email out to all of the members in December, once they'd all been, um, so December 2019, once they'd all been sort of, you know, signed up to take part, saying, we're working with this documentary company. Uh, to make a film about the citizens assembly, if you're interested, get in touch. And so we were a bit nervous about that because you know it was it was we were reliant on them actively getting in touch with me to say I'm interested in your documentary, which normally you would expect you wouldn't get you know very many people. But we had quite a we had a really really healthy number of people get back to us, and I think it probably says something about the types of people who say, "Yep, yeah, I'll do this citizens assembly." who will also you know in in for a penny in for a pound you know if I'm gonna put myself forward to be part of this thing I'll also put myself forward to be part of the documentary I think they were very curious um so yeah we had a healthy a healthy response and you know we were obviously very very um conscious to have a really diverse range of contributors we really knew that we needed to have um a range of political opinions and, and views on climate change you know that was really important that we didn't just have everyone was very concerned about climate change we needed to have people who were more at that um skeptical end of the scale um and I think you know once we had met once i would met them they did clearly to me I mean certainly some of them really felt like very familiar British types we, we were talking about like the sort of British tribe. And I suppose if you think about um, Richard as I think a real standout example, he's this, you know, Brexiteer from the home counties with his caravan and he's skeptical about climate change. And I just felt like that was such a recognizable sort of perspective. And so if we could do that and have a whole range of different contributors who were all recognizable, but all of them warm and funny and likable, you know, because I think that was always going to be really important to have um, to have funny, likeable characters.
1: Yeah. And it really is one of the great strengths of the film. And um, if I can come to you now, Jessica, because obviously this wonderful film wouldn't have happened without Doc Society's support. Can you tell us a bit about what what you did in order to sustain and support the production side of the thing? We'll come on to the audience engagement. But you were involved, I think, throughout the whole process.
4: Yeah. So I think I'm just trying to remember when I first heard about the project, it was sort of probably early 2020. And I heard, you know, talk about this project in the office and I was like, that sounds kind of intriguing. And at that point we had encouraged the team to apply for Climate Story Lab UK, which was essentially a kind of a workshop that Doc Society put on with our partners, Exposure Labs. Um, And it was a kind of convening of what we did. We, We selected 12 Like creative climate story telling projects to come and participate in the lab. And then we surrounded those projects with experts, be it scientists, policymakers, social scientists, philanthropists to come together in a room, 100 people over a course of three days to come and talk about the projects, to talk about the different aspects of climate that they were intersecting with and to kind of work out how best to maximise these projects to engage audiences meaningfully and to kind of deliver impact as well so long way of saying we were delighted to have the film participate in the lab Um, and it was a really wonderful moment when there was a teaser shown to this audience of a hundred different people and the room just lit up with like laughter which was like such a kind of like great thing in this like very I can't say it was entirely serious, but it was, you know, it's a convening about climate. So, you know, to have some warmth and humanity was a kind of really wonderful thing. And I think from that moment on, we all realised that we liked the project, but we also realised the kind of the potential it had in terms of, you know, engaging audiences. Um, And so from there, we went on a journey with a film. We gave um, the film a grant on the back of the Climate Story Lab um, for production. um, And also the... um, The BFI Doc Society Production SOS Fund, which was a fund that was specifically set up to help projects that had been interrupted by COVID, um, also came in to support the film on production as well. So we continue to work with the team throughout the kind of the COVID crisis um, and out the other side. And of course, you know, great champions of the film. And we can talk about what that championing involved, you know, as the conversation evolves.
1: Yeah, the humour, I think... I just love the humour of the film, I just want to say, because it's not what you expect in conversations about climate at all. And I think it's one of the great strengths of the piece. Um, There's so much to cover, I should say, around this film that I'm like moving quite fast through all the various topics in my mind. So, you know, we may come back and discuss some of the details of the production in more detail. But Steve, I guess I want to come back to you. And think about the fact that, you know, I know a lot of directors who basically think our job is to make a beautiful film. Like, and that's it. You know, like, let's make a great film. Let's show some great humanity. Let's engage people's a range of their emotions. And we have done our job. But for you, I think that was not the end of the story at all for you. You were thinking about audience engagement quite early on. So could you just tell us like, why, <laughs> for starters? And, and did you have
2: a sense of what that looked like? Um, I don't think we necessarily knew at the beginning what it looked like, but it se- seemed to me that there was an opportunity here to um, engage. I-, I remember having a conversation with someone from XR very early on about the film because, you know, they- they've had various different sort of stances on, you know, they support a citizens assembly. They didn't really support this particular assembly in the way that um, it wasn't legally binding by government. But actually, XR was saying, oh, my God, you know, this is a film that could reach the people that XR can't reach. And I think that's really interesting. I think the fact that we saw an opportunity to reach just ordinary people that perhaps hadn't been engaged by climate before, you know, the fact that we we talk about the humour, which, you know, we're referring to uh, one of the, the characters called Sue in the film, who is so funny. Um, and, and the classic line that she kind of comes up with right at the beginning, you know, what do I know about climate change? Nothing. And And, you know, from then onwards, she just grabs you. And I just... I just knew that by by kind of featuring real people thinking about this subject for the first time, those people could reach the kind of viewers that probably haven't already engaged in climate in the past. The fact that the film isn't about activists, it's not politicians, it's not scientists, it's just real people, um, I think gave it gave us the opportunity. And then the other thing that I really wanted to try and do is use the film as a way to change the conversation within the industry about how we talk about climate, because... There is nervousness in our industry that um, that that climate change doesn't rate and that, um, you know, kind of broadcasters and commissioning editors, I think, are nervous around the impartiality. I think it's still seen as a really uh, hot potato in terms of some of the political aspects of climate change, which it really shouldn't be, because, you know, I think there's general broad political consensus about it. But but I was hoping that this this film might give reassurance to broadcasters that, you know, you can tackle climate change in accessible, friendly ways.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because this issue, you sort of feel it is an existential threat. I mean, I think everyone agrees on that. It's an existential threat to the nature of our civilization. I guess what I'm interested in is what, how much responsibility you feel, storytellers, you know, whether on the broadcast level or on the level of individuals that we have to be doing work that is going to be part of positive change on this issue.
2: I think we have enormous responsibility. First of all, I I mentioned at the beginning about how there's an apocalyptic uh, way of telling climate in the past. I think we've got to be very careful about that because I think it can sometimes create negative scenarios that make people give up and feel there's no hope and there's no point in trying. And, you know, there's some great work that was done last last year by two charities called uh, the Frameworks Institute and On the Road who um, did a lot of work on this to say that audiences really respond to sort of positive um, messaging around this. And again, we know in our industry, I think we have a mantra, don't we, of show, don't tell. You know, we don't like finger wagging. Audiences don't want to be told what to do. They just want to be shown kind of opportunities and then they can make up their own minds. So I think part of this film was about showing possibilities and letting audiences decide for themselves. Um, so so, so that I think is really important. But as storytellers, you know, we've got a huge responsibility in this. And if you think about it, you know, the majority of the population still get their information and news from, from mainstream media. Um, you know, the broadcasters have invested huge amounts of money training our industry about climate change. So if we think our industry needs to know, then surely we have to use that knowledge and then make films that kind of educate the wider public about this problem.
1: Yeah, Mike, I'd like to bring you in here now. I mean, eighty nine up. Look to your website; looks amazing. Europe's first impact agency—is that that's correct? I mean, but perhaps could you tell us a bit more about the agency, what it does, and then how did you get involved in the project on the audience engagement side?
5: Is this a good a good point for me to sort of run through? We've got some slides that just explain our kind of audience uh, methodologies.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
5: sure. Great. So. Uh, we're what's called an impact agency, so what we do is we build audience or awareness of complicated issues, so we've worked on climate change, we've worked on malaria, we've worked on human rights challenges, we've worked on restoring faith in international aid, we've worked on uh, the aftermath of Brexit, um, and one of the things we do is we either build, build audiences or we move, uh, we move consumer perceptions of issues. Um, And so within the agency, we're what you might describe as a traditional PR agency, but our whole purpose is to actually change, actively change minds. Um, And what I loved about this film was that uh, instead of telling the stories of a campaign or people that worked at an NGO, you actually had real people at absolutely the heart of the climate debate, and that had been missing for so long, it was very clear to us that it could resonate with the audiences that we we wanted to to reach. And for us, there were three kind of big audiences that came out the Britain Talks Climate Research. So disengaged battlers, these are people that are 20 to 40, they're younger, they work incredibly hard, they're on lower incomes, and they basically think that society doesn't work for them. They're very worried about climate change, because they think they're going to pay the price. So actually, what you often think is that what we trit- what we call the traditional working engaged with climate change, actually, the research shows the exact opposite. We also wanted to re- reach a group called civic pragmatists. So these are higher income people. They often vote conservative. They're pragmatic in nature. And their views on climate change had often been shaped by quite polarised debates in the 1990s. And now a consensus is, is emerged, they're kind of an audience to take. And the final group that's often left out of the debate is a group called Loyal Nationals. That final group is the one that the climate community has found the hardest to reach and hardest to get with. But actually in the film, there are characters that really speak to some of the issues that Loyal Nationals uh, care about. And some of the film characters, um, such as Mark, who's a veteran, uh, has served time in the military, is working class and patriotic. There were, there were characters in the film that really we felt could connect with some of those audiences. So the strategy for us is, we know it's getting on BBC iPlayer. How do we make sure this film is seen by those three groups of people so that the film itself can have as much impact as possible? And so we helped build a media campaign which landed first in the Daily Express which you wouldn't expect necessarily yeah. to be the, the vehicle to carry messages around. Well
1: done for getting in the daily express. It was a, it was a challenge. So we did, we did, we started
5: with center media. So we got the daily express. We actually had multiple the daily express. We built our media strategy We talked to center titles. the The final piece of this is in fact the, paid social media campaign, where we're able to directly target adverts for the film, showing the uh, BBC iPlayer distribution with the characters in the film who really speak to those audiences. And what we're doing is hyper-targeted adverts that actually are driving audiences through to the BBC uh, iPlayer link, and also using relevant influencers who can talk to those audiences as well. So there's basically quite a lot of surround sound about the film. And the film is being, you know, the film is a fantastic, basically, um, tool that felt really disconnected from this issue before, start to engage with it um, in a way they haven't before.
1: Yeah, which is so important, I think, if we're all going to build consensus over change. I mean, Jessica, you are so involved in the climate lab and I, I think it'd be interesting to know like to what extent when you're looking at projects to get involved with and support you know do they have to have an impact component and and what's the range of impact kind of that you see you know when you're talking about the climate it's such a massive topic um you know are people looking at local issues is it a sort of more policy level how what have you seen in in doc society
4: well so that's um, an interesting question so Doc Society has been championing climate storytelling for a number of years, and we've, you know, and environmental films more broadly. We this year we launched a climate story fund, which specifically uplifts climate stories from around the world. And that's a fund that is for production, but it's also an impact fund as well. And it's particularly the last call we did was particularly for projects that are in late stage production and will be kind of starting an impact campaign later this year. And I think it's that we had a, we had the first call where we received like over 240 projects from around the world. Um, Fascinating breadth of different stories. Um, Some some themes, you know, we had in this round, we've had a lot of themes around uh, land defending, a lot, you know, a lot of themes around deforestation. We've had themes, you know, quite a lot of themes about activism. Um, But of course, you know, Like The point of setting up the fund was to have a kind of biodiversity of climate storytelling in order to kind of for these stories to kind of reach different audiences in different ways around the world, because that's like so important that, you know, you just aren't just talking to one particular type of audience. And when we historically looked at successful climate films, we found that actually a lot of these films centred middle-aged white men speaking to audiences in the global north in a very particular tone of voice. And that was kind of the point of wanting to support projects like this one in the Climate Story Lab, um, along with a cohort of the other 11 that kind of did something kind of very, very different um, with with climate storytelling and also as a result had very different potentials for reaching different audiences in different ways and in some cases delivering impact. And I think it's worth saying that, you know, if people are interested There are some great case studies in the impact field guide, which I think is a URL in the chat. Um, Films like Chasing Coral, which is on Netflix, and a film like Thank You for the Rain, um, which was made by Banyak Films here in the UK with um, a Kenyan filmmaker and a Norwegian filmmaker. And there's some brilliant case studies there to have a look at if you want to kind of learn more about how those films made particular impact. But I think um, in the case of this film, it's more about the audience engagement and around reaching audiences who may not necessarily. at all engaged in thinking about climate um, which you know is something that actually all of us are going to be involved in given the commitments the government's been making to us all reaching net zero um, by 2050.
1: Yeah I mean I'm so interested to know with your perspective you're like higher ground that you can see all the projects like is this project unique (laughs) in the fact that it is reaching out of the sort of conventional bubbles I mean it's something I've I wrestle with in general with film because often you make these feature docs and they go to festivals or you know they're sort of playing to a rarefied section sometimes of predominantly other filmmakers and I think that's a real question for me it's like you know is this project unique in that way or, or are there a few others like it?
4: Well it dep- I mean yes it is unique, it's kind of it, like the reason that we fell in love with it is the kind of like the warm humanity of the film and and the kind of like the fact that it's also a kind of a historic record of a democratic process too but I think from a doc society film fund perspective we are actively looking for projects that will resonate with audiences who may not yet be engaged in climate storytelling so you know in the last we haven't yet announced the grantees for the fund but you know we have projects that talk to uh, like a really broad diversity of of audiences who are not you know bought into xr and who are not the sort of people who may normally watch feature documentaries and that's very important for us because traditionally the feature doc audience is the kind of like slightly rarefied very overeducated kind of crowd you know or film lovers right but actually the, the challenge i think with climate storytelling is to find ways to connect the storytelling with audiences who may not even normally hear about these films and that's something that you know, our colleagues at 89Up have helped so brilliantly with in terms of taking a piece of fantastic and inspiring research in terms of the Britain Talks Climate Toolkit and actually kind of using some of those findings to reach audiences in the UK with the brilliance of the content in the absence, I should say, of a conventional TV broadcast. Because, you know, on that point, building the audience was absolutely key.
1: Yeah. And we should come back to that. But I just want to go to you, Harriet, just as a filmmaker, really I mean where do you stand on you know in the projects that you've got coming up on your responsibility to be you know taking a film or, or picking projects that are going to have a real world impact you know is that important to you or is your folk or do you believe like, a great film on its own is is sufficient to initiate change
3: I think it's a really interesting question this one of do, do we have an do we have a responsibility to create change it- it's tough. I think, you know, we have a responsibility to make people think and make people look at things anew and with fresh eyes and challenge perhaps people's assumptions. Um, you know, obviously there are films out there that are very much like campaign films that, you know, I suppose like Spiracy or something is a good example of that. You know, films that are drilling down into a particular issue and are giving you a really powerful argument for a particular change. And I, um, th- you know, this film isn't that. This film isn't a campaign for like one policy change. This is this film. If anything, is saying um, the campaign that this film is on is to say everyone should be in this conversation, and 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 all their views are relevant. Um, and I and I totally agree with you in terms of so many fantastic films, but that the, the address climate change as is an issue, but often you do feel like are we always just preaching to the converted here about this issue and what i really loved about this project was its capacity to um, present a diverse range of opinions and to you know just put those across truthfully and honestly and allow people to make their minds up and and i, I i'm i'm really pleased that you know some of our characters who were more climate change skeptic skeptical at the beginning became more concerned about it by the end, but there was no guarantee that was going to happen. Um, and I liked the fact that there was no guarantee that that was gonna happen. That was, I think that's the strength of it is that I'm not, you know, as a director, shoehorning people into doing something or, or knowing where the journey's gonna end. You know, this is an observational film and the beauty of observational films is you don't know quite where they're gonna end up and that's great. Um, so uh, it's a tough one, you know, I, if there's an issue that I cared about really passionately and I felt I had a really strong opinion about how things should change, I think, great, go make a film about it. But I don't think it's beholden to like every single filmmaker out there to have that perspective. Mm-hmm. And I think what is good about this film is it's not banging the drum for one thing. It's it's banging the drum for like, let's listen to everybody around climate change and try and bring everyone with us. Um,
1: if that answers the question, yeah yeah, it does i mean it's it's an interesting debate, I mean, coming to you, Steve, one of the things that I've been surprised about recently in my own little pitching is how increasingly a lot of people want to know the end of the documentary before like they'll like commission it, you know, so sort of want to know how it's going to end, which runs against the whole nature of observation filmmaking, especially like in the climate space, when frankly, we don't know how the whole big picture is going to end. And I mean, you've touched on it, I think, about the sort of reticence or the caution on the part of broadcasters to really come into this space. Like, can you say any more about that, your personal experience on this film, for example, because I should point out the film is on iPlayer, but it's not yet got a terrestrial broadcast, as I understand it, um, fixed. Can you say a little bit more about that uncertainty and what could be done to kind of help broadcasters take the risks that we're taking as filmmakers?
2: Yeah, it, it is really, really challenging. I mean, we obviously pitched the film to um, all the broadcasters. We pitched it to the BBC at first and and they were engaged. They they were curious about it. They They agreed that it was an important issue in terms of democracy and climate change. But I think, as you say, A citizens' assembly sounds quite dry, doesn't it? And so I think they they felt it was, you know, they weren't quite convinced that that would sort of cut through in a sort of entertaining way or a big enough way. And um, I think also, you know, they, they get very nervous around sort of ratings. I think when you're commissioning a single documentary, you, you think it's got to really punch its way through, don't you? I mean, what's interesting is despite the fact that the film hasn't had a TV transmission, we've already had numerous column inches about it. You know, as Mike was saying, The Express, you know, we've had Copy in the Mirror. It was made... Uh, There was a 10 minute piece about the film on Channel 4 News. It's been on local radio stations up and down the country. I mean, we've we've probably had more publicity around this film than the most normal TV programs get, actually, which is which is interesting. So it is punching. It's above its weight, I think, Um, you know. I think also as you say not knowing what the outcome would be probably made the BBC feel very nervous. So, you know, in in the end, you know, they they didn't uh, go ahead with it. Um I I hope that perhaps when they see particularly as Hearing Claire Sillery talk at the Sheffield DocFest this week about the BBC's new iPlayer first strategy in terms of commissioning, the fact that the film is on the iPlayer, the fact that it's finding an audience on the iPlayer without a TV transmission, I hope that that might actually encourage the BBC to think again and perhaps closer to COP in November, you know, there might be a slot that they could find for the film, because I think mm-hmm. it would still be relevant right in that run-up. Um, but, you know, we also tried Channel 4, we tried, you know, Sky, we we tried every broadcaster, and they were all very, very similar. And And I hope what this will do is that if, um, if commissioning editors watch the film and engage with this, so I hope it might make them think differently about climate and perhaps reassure them that they can take more risks in this area the one the one thing that i should say is we've had enormous support from albert you know from the 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 kind of sustainability initiative in the industry they did a, a virtual kind of red carpet sort of premiere for the film and we had over 400 people kind of uh, watch the film that that day um huge engagements it was the biggest event that they've ever done so i think it shows that there is an interest in this subject matter Definitely.
1: I should say, given that we're all directors, hopefully watching this, we should all call up the commissioning editors we know to make that happen. This film should definitely be shown before cop. I mean, it's a no brainer. Anyway, um, I've lost my train of thought now. Oh yes. (laughs) Back to Albert, I did want to just very briefly, like I've got the clock ticking away in my top right hand corner and a lot I want to cover but I wasn't actually even aware I must admit ashamed of my ignorance as I am of BAFTA Albert's existence until we spoke so perhaps you could just give us a very brief you know what is BAFTA Albert and how can it support filmmakers and what they're doing.
2: Yeah well Albert was set up 10 years ago um, and initially it started off as a carbon calculator really as as a device for allowing us to measure the carbon footprint of productions and since then it's evolved into so much more so Um, One of the key elements of it is training. It trains the industry into how to make programs um, with lower carbon footprints more sustainably. But it also spends a lot of time training the industry in how to talk about storytelling around climate. Um, So you can sign up for free training via the We Are Albert website, which which is great. On top of that, they now work with film schools to train the next generation. They're working with partners around the world internationally. They're also doing work thinking about Um, the infrastructure that we need in the UK for having more sustainable studios you know what does what does a more joined up production method look like where we have where we cut out waste where we can use renewable energy to make our programs so there's a huge range of issues that Albert do and um, I think really really important you know it's interesting how just just thinking about different production methods you know just simple things like not flying crews around the world because actually there are very good crews that we can use in other parts of the world I mean it's a real sort of shock to me that actually you know we still take camera crew to to Africa to film wildlife programs and we haven't over the years trained up local crews in Africa Mm -hmm. to have that kind of own homegrown industry there I mean that would be a huge legacy if we could do that and support people in the, in the in you know in the global south who are already being impacted by climate change
1: yeah i think that's such an important point I, I, there's a doc 11th hour which i think touches on that same point and at the end they sort of say well we've created a load of carbon making this film but we think the message of the film is important enough you know and these are the decisions that we have to make but it is important for us to understand our carbon footprint in everything that we do and um, mike to come back to you like i guess one of the things that i found difficult in my own sort of work on impact is is to like know what the end is you know sometimes i've been like what has this actually done you know and you have done such amazing work to connect and to push the film out there but is there an endpoint like you know is there any way in which you can you can see the change that the film has made or is it just you know all part of the grand effort to move the needle I mean, there are two different, uh, there are kind of two different types of change
5: that you can make. You can make change in terms of awareness and changing people's perceptions of an issue. And actually, that is often as important to people doing something tangible on a campaign um, I'm going to turn my video off for, for yeah. uh, just otherwise. So I think that can also as be as tangible, because actually, if we hadn't have moved public opinion to be more favourable towards climate change in the last five years, you know, voters of all political persuasions and are now persuaded the need to make fundamental changes, you know, to, to our lifestyle and economy in order to tackle climate change. If you hadn't have moved the dial on those issues, p- politics wouldn't have been in the place it is now where the UK is actually a world leader on climate change in COP, which is being hosted in Glasgow, could be a big moment where we uh, have a binding agreement. So, like, awareness in itself is a really important thing. But in terms of impact, there are also forms of impact above and beyond awareness. And that could be inspiring people to become part of civic society organizations or it could be inspiring people to take a form of political action or it could be inspiring people to become message carriers and get involved in you know and get involved in different ways so like I personally think it's really important to identify your audiences very early on um, Mm -hmm. and to understand like what is a practical outcome if we're talking about disengaged battlers who are Incredibly busy people and don't have time to be part of you know don't have time actually for a lot of political action. Actually, for that group of people, I would say moving awareness, you know, so that when someone knocks on their door, a politician asking for their vote, if the conversation they have is my number one issue is climate rather than my number one issue is parking, that actually changes the perception of politicians to what voters are, what what voters believe or what voters are looking for. So like. So that might be one thing. If your audience is, say, an audience like civic pragmatists, who are involved in loads of civic organisations up and down the UK, actually, for that group, you might want to go. One thing we can do with this film is we could a form of active in some of the organisations and civic organisations that have a lot of political power and a lot of political weight in the UK. So audience identification is is kind of a really important part of that. But also, a clear that helps you determine the kind of impact that's also possible.
2: Mm. could i could i just come in very quickly off the back of that and just just say one thing that i think is really important is our film is very impartial we're we're observing a process but the process of the citizens assembly has just really taken these characters on a journey and what's what's amazing for me is watching how it's given people agency you know so someone like amy who's kind of you know a working class single mum who kind of, you know, lives in social housing, she's got a coal fire, how she's become impassioned about sort of campaigning for retrofitting her home. You know, we're not doing anything as filmmakers. They've gone through this process and it's just lovely watching people like Amy suddenly kind of want to go further and do more with the information she's learned. That's so empowering.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, it. It. I think it's what's interesting about the film and Harriet, maybe you can talk about this is it it really left me asking the questions like where is the responsibility for change you know is it about people like amy i I mean that's something i come up against in conversations people saying well you know we don't make a difference and it's all politician's decision i mean what what do you think the film tells us about that debate what did you conclude from working on it
3: yeah it's a really interesting point i mean we we came across that several times when we were sort of in the edit saying you know hang on are we We're concentrating too much on, you know, whether Charlie goes on two or three holidays a year, and pointing the finger at her and saying we she should be really thinking about, you know, whether she needs to go to Barcelona in March, Mm -hmm. Um, or should we be pointing the finger at the government and saying saying listen to what these people are saying they're open for change and and um, and we think there's lots of campaigners who will fall quite heavily on either side of that say you know we, we. we should stop talking about personal change so much because it doesn't matter how many times we take a flight when you know Shell are doing this. And um, I think I think the the answer has to be both in a sort of boring way. You know, we have to be encouraging people to look at their own lives and to be open to changing their habits that they thought they would never change. But we also can't take the you know our foot off the off the gas in terms of saying. Um, government need to be leading the way on this. and I think, you know, one of the conclusions of the film is um, if people, you know, I think Mark says this, if people are educated, and he, he says this at the launch of the report, like to the, um, to the politicians, if people are educated, they are willing to make the changes. So government should be bold and, and tell us, tell us why it's important to make changes and then tell us what we need to do to change so you know and that really summarizes it really well it's we all in britain need to buy into this idea that our lives are going to change and that is for a good reason um and but of course there's like loads of very difficult questions about infrastructure you know that that i as an individual have got no power over how many electric charging points there are for electric cars so we absolutely just need both of those things to happen and um yeah, and and I I think that's the conclusion that I think a lot of the our characters came to as well.
2: Yeah, and and again, off the back of that, the the, the role that storytellers have in showing what change could look like, because mm. you know we know in terms of diversity that you know we we need diversity because unless you can see yourself on screen, it, you kind of can't imagine that you could be in these situations and likewise i think we need to be able to show people what a kind of net zero future could look like because actually it could be a lot better than the fu- than the kind of the current situation we've got you know that that's how can we empower people as storytellers by showing possibilities
1: yeah steve i have to follow up with some of my research from this afternoon which was all about net zero and this is this is a, a bit more of a complicated question because I, after watching your film, I was sort of so inspired actually in so many ways. But then this afternoon, I was reading about net zero and I was reading a lot of articles that were saying the whole like net zero goal is itself quite a complicated, you know, it's not going to get us of jail. I mean, I read articles from scientists saying this is like, what's the word? You know, it's like a false prophet. This whole concept of net zero because the technologies aren't there and it's based on all sorts of things like biomass burning which is actually putting more co2 into the atmosphere in the short term so i guess was that something that you came up against you know was this whole climate assembly going for something that in itself is flawed
2: uh i don't think it is flawed i mean you know the science is very clear we have to basically halve our current global emissions within the next decade to stand any chance of stopping temperatures going over 1.5 degrees the other thing is that we know that technology is not going to be able to come along in time to save us so we have to sort of stop emitting the carbon that's something we have to do technology will have a role later on um and of course you know the time to take action is fast running out you know there, there's this thing called the sort of carbon budget scientists know very accurately how much carbon you can emit before temperatures go over. And we currently emit around 51 billion tons of carbon a year. So we've got to get that down to 25 billion by the end of the decade. Um, And if we don't do that, it's impossible to stop temperatures going over 1.5 degrees. And so in the end, you know, we get to this point where two degrees is better than three degrees. Three degrees will be better than five degrees. But actually, we don't want to be going to three and five degrees because that's really horrific. You know, we do need to... And that's why it's so important. We're not going to be able to do this unless everyone engages in it. Um, You know, the UK has been very effective at decarbonizing our energy system. But of course, consumers haven't really had to change their habits when they switch on a light. What we need to focus on over the next decade are all the things that are going to change our lives. You know, how we eat, how we travel, how we use our homes, how we use the workplace, how we consume. All those things are going to have to be kind of done very differently and that's why broadcasters really do have to get behind this and I think as a program maker there's huge opportunities you know how can we do food on tv differently how can we do DIY on tv differently what are the new travel formats we can come up with that show people what they're going to be doing in the next sort of 10 years
1: Mm. yeah Jessica I mean that urgency is such a big part of this whole story and and urgency often can run counter to filmmaking, certainly independent doc filmmaking when it can be a real battle to like raise the funds. I mean what advice or guidance can you give? I know that Doc Society has some wonderful resources to support filmmakers. You know what can you say to people who've got burning stories or or things that they think could make a big impact? What resources are available to them? What guidance could you give them on on what to do to get their films made as fast? as possible and out there?
4: Well, um, there's not a resource about making a film faster, but um, it's worth saying. So the Climate Story Fund is not just for feature docs. We're actually, it's it's kind of platform agnostic. So we've got a podcast that we're supporting. We've got a short form episodic. So, you know, I think it's worth, if you're making a film about climate, is it actually a film is there another kind of is it it more suited to be a format you know rather than like taking a three to five year period if that's how long it's going to take to get it out into the world we as i said we're prioritizing projects that are kind of further along in the production cycle so because we we want to create a pipeline of very diverse climate storytelling that's going to go out and hit you know audiences around the world um and i think you know like keep talking to broadcasters too, because actually there's not enough climate storytelling on television at the moment. And that's only going to probably going to increase as broadcasters become a bit more comfortable with the possibilities, creative possibilities of climate storytelling. So I think it's not just about doing your feature doc. It's like, what, where else can this story go? And how can you grow it creatively to get it out into the world a bit faster? Because yeah. we don't have the luxury of time.
1: Yeah, do you feel there are there are other people doing what Doc Society is doing to support this kind of storytelling, or or do you feel like you're leading the charge?
4: Well, that's a loaded question, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's I the only
1: why, the reason why I'm asking is because I suppose make I'm just thinking about from the filmmaker's point of view. You know, you can feel quite lonely when you're like got an idea or got an in access, and you want to like help it realize its potential. Doc Society are there. We've talked about the challenges with broadcasters, I guess just, you know, where else can people be looking?
4: Such a such a big question in such a short period of time. I uh, think like a good starting place is to go to the kind of, if you want to make a creative storytelling piece, go to some of the festivals, go and see what else is kind of getting out into the world and have conversations with other filmmakers about how they've done it themselves. Right. Because that's an important like peer to peer learning is like super important in terms of how to do this better. There's a fund in America called the Redford Center. They're doing climate storytelling specifically, but it doesn't mean that other film funds around the world are not supporting climate. They are. They just don't have a banner. And we hope at Doc Society that other film funds around the world and broadcasters will kind of follow and support climate storytelling when they see you know what's possible. Mm.
1: So I just wonder whether very quickly in the bigger picture, all of you can just give a short answer in terms of how hopeful you are. Because I think this film is a very hopeful film in so many ways in terms of the engagement that we've seen, the journey that the characters go on that you mentioned, Harriet. How do you all feel about the challenge that we face and and our chances of meeting it, starting with you, Steve?
2: I have to remain hopeful. Um, I mean, one of the things that I've done is I've seen the change within the TV industry. It's not fast enough, but over the last sort of six years since I've been teaching about climate change, you know, I've seen that change. Um, You know, I'm hopeful because we have all the solutions to solve climate change. The only thing we need to do is pick up the pace. We need to engage more people and get more people on board quickly to solve this problem. But if we do that, we can solve it. Harriet?
3: You know, I think depends what day of the week you ask me. I, yeah, we 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 ha- we do have to be hopeful. The thing is, I, I I feel now from having gone through the experience of filming the assembly, I now sort of understand like the nitty gritty of what it requires, and in some ways, it's like a logistical challenge as much as it is a hearts and minds one. It's just about like organising it and getting it done, and I feel like we can do it, and and I even feel like. You look at the success of the vaccination programme, right? How quickly we managed to come up with a solution. And I got vaccinated the other day and I was like practically in tears at how amazing it was that like the marquee was there and the screens were really good. And and I just, it makes you think like, we've got lots of really clever people who are committed to this. We can do it. We just like have to. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Mike, what do you think?
5: I mean, n- nobody thought that solar... Power could ever be commercially viable. And now it's cheaper than coal. And actually, if we were to take coal out of our energy supply globally, we would get of that halving. We've done basically 40% of that halving just by getting rid of coal, right? So the solutions are all in our power. And actually, technology is moving so quickly. The amount of money that's going into technological innovations is absolutely huge now. You know, we can reduce the amount of methane that cows emit by 38% using garlic. Like there's loads of different technologies that are coming. It's exactly as has been said though, we've got to make some changes now. We might have 10 years where we have to sacrifice some of our standard of living. And then actually we might get to the other side of that and our standard of living could increase even as the world's population grows because those technologies are being embedded. So I'm optimistic. Brilliant, three out of
1: four, Jessica.
4: Well, I mean, I, I concur with my fellow panellists in the fact that I have to lean into hope. I have to. I, I have a three-year-old daughter and I can't like look her in the eyes and say, you know, we didn't do everything we could, and we, you know, and I think that I'm hope I'm I'm hopeful for the te- because of technology, but I'm also hopeful for future generations. You know, in terms of you know young people going out and actually really wanting to make a change way more than older generations ever have done because they actually really understand the urgency and the importance of the issue. So I think they'll look back on us or our generations and they'll be like, "What do you mean you never believed in climate? Change? What do you mean? You know, you know, it's like." So I th- I feel hopeful for for that reason too. Um, not every day. But generally, I lean into hope.
1: Brilliant. Well, on that incredibly optimistic finale, um, I'd like to thank everyone for being here. Harriet, Jessica, Steve and Mike. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, good night.
0: This podcast was recorded at a Directors UK member event. You can hear more episodes of the Directors UK podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify or your favourite podcatcher. Directors UK is a professional association for film and TV directors with over 7,500 members. Find out more about us at directors.uk.com.